you've got mail. This morning as we continue our study series letters to the churches, we come to the very first of the seven letters that Jesus wrote, the letter to this church in Ephesus. And I wonder, in the reading of Jesus' letter to Ephesus in the video a moment ago, did you catch that phrase in verse 4? In fact, read it out loud with me. Let's read this together. You have forsaken your first love. The Good News translates it, You do not love me now as you did at first. The message puts it like this, You walked away from your first love. Why? I think I like the New Life translation the best. You've forgotten the passion and intimacy you shared with me at the beginning. You remember what it was like the first time you fell in love with someone? The thrilling excitement, the total sold-out devotion, the endless energy, the aching desire? Even more important, do you remember the first time you fell in love with Jesus. The boundless joy, the wild enthusiasm, the crazy fanaticism, the -the off-the-chart zeal. Well, this morning we're going to take a closer look at this church in Ephesus. A church that had forsaken its first love for the Lord. And we'll see what lessons we can learn that we might apply to our lives today, both individually and congregationally. So let's begin by looking at the Scripture. Before we dig into today's text here in Revelation chapter 2, let's just pause and ask God to speak to us clearly from His Word. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Lord, for the Bible, Your Word so practical, so relevant for our lives. That's so true this morning in this letter. And so before we study these verses, we ask that You would open our eyes that we would see and open our ears that we would hear and open our minds that we would understand and open our hearts that we would receive the seed of truth and plant it there that it would find fertile soil and grow in us become a a part of the fabric of our everyday lives and produce in us the fruit that You want it to produce. Teach us this morning about first love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So follow along in your Bible as I read again. Revelation chapter 2. We pick it up with verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered, have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. 
Repent. Do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now as we study through these seven letters, we're going to discover that each and every one of them, in fact, may easily be broken down into six main headings. And so as we work our way through Revelation 2, verses 1-7, through and Jesus' letter to Ephesus, here they are, beginning with the church. In the first part of verse 1, we read, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, Simply put, this first letter from Jesus is addressed to the angel. Don't be alarmed by that word. The word is literally messenger. I believe pastor of the church in Ephesus. Why the pastor? Because Jesus knew that if he addressed this letter to the pastor, guess what? The pastor would then address it to the congregation. Doesn't that make sense? Now this church would have been about... 40 years old at the time that this letter was written by Jesus. And those years provided this church with quite a heritage, as I've outlined there in your lesson notes. Look at it with me. The church was started by the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 18 on his second missionary journey. When Paul moved on, Aquila and Priscilla pastored the church. And then Apollos came to be the pastor teacher. He was followed by a return ministry from Paul in Acts chapter 20. And then Timothy was left behind by Paul to lead the church. And it was during this time, by the way, that Paul wrote a letter to the church, what we know as the book of Ephesians in our New Testament. Finally, as you saw in the video, tradition tells us that the Apostle John, who actually records this letter in Revelation 2, spent his last days in Ephesus following his release from exile on the island of Patmos. No, think about that for a minute. That is quite a heritage of leadership, is it not? The city of Ephesus, modern day Ephesus, just south of Selkuk in Turkey, a large city of 300,000 plus people at the time that Jesus wrote this letter, was basically known for two things at that time. The first is commerce. Located near the western coast of Asia Minor at the mouth of the Caister River and at the intersection of two main Roman roads, Ephesus was in fact the commercial capital of all of Asia Minor. And secondly, it was known for paganism. The Temple of Artemis, or Diana, employed thousands of citizens, including the silversmiths who made and sold those little statues of Diana, kind of like good luck charms, to people who came from all over the world to worship this goddess of fertility. There's quite a story of that that you can read later in Acts chapter 19. So that's a little background on the church and the city of Ephesus, which brings us then to the Christ. Again, as we study each of these seven letters, we'll find that Jesus Christ, the author of these letters, reveals Himself to the churches 
as he establishes his credibility with them. And these self-designations of his character are a reflection back to Revelation chapter 1 where in last Sunday's lesson we saw Jesus in all of His glory and power and majesty. And so here in the latter part of verse 1 we see this picture of Christ. These are the words of Him who holds the seven stars in His right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now don't let that imagery get you sidetracked. It's really pretty simple. In fact, we go back to Jesus' own explanation in Revelation 1 and verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels, or as I already mentioned, the pastors of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. In summary then, Christ's picture is doing two things here. First, He protects the pastor. (laughs) I kind of like that one. (laughs) He protects the pastor. It says He holds the seven stars, the pastors, in His right hand. Now it's interesting to note that this Greek word here, holds, is not to hold partially in an open hand, like I'm holding this Bible, but to hold fully in a closed hand hand like I would hold a coin. It's a picture, you see, of security. (laughs) The pastor is not going to fall out of Jesus' hand. The enemy cannot snatch the pastor, (laughs) the church leader, from Jesus' hand. That's an amazing promise. He protects the pastor. Secondly, he probes the people. The picture is that he walks among the seven golden lampstands. Again, those are the churches. And I want us to be able to picture in our minds today that Jesus is in fact still walking among the lampstands. He is walking among us this morning here at Springville Church of the Nazarene. And he is inspecting your life. He's inspecting my life. And as a caretaker of His church, Christ tends to the churches, the lampstands. The picture would be that He trims the wicks. Those were oil lamps, right? That He supplies the unending oil of His Holy Spirit because He wants to make sure that these lampstands keep shining brightly. He probes people. So then, what does Jesus have to say to this church in Ephesus? Well, first, let's notice the commendation. Here we really begin to get into the heart of Jesus' letter. And notice that He commends this church in Ephesus for three things. First of all, He commends them for their deeds. Their deeds. In verse 2, He says, I know your deeds, your hard work. By the way, the The wording here in the Greek indicates perspiration. Sweat. (laughs) Hard work actually literally is a word that means to uh, labor to the point of exhaustion. Hmm. And so what I want us to understand is that this was not a lazy church, folks. Jesus commends them for their deeds. 
<laughs> Secondly, He commends them for their determination. Their determination. In verse 2, He also says, I know your perseverance. And in verse 3, He elaborates that on when He says, You have persevered and have endured hardships for My name and have not grown weary. See, they'd hung in there. They didn't quit. They stuck it out. They didn't give up. In other words, this was a determined church, fiercely determined that they were going to be faithful. And thirdly, He commends them for their doctrine. In verse 2, He also says, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you've tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them false. And then in verse 6, Jesus says, But you have this in your favor, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Just a little side note right there on that. So you get the historical context. The Nicolaitans taught a separation between the clergy and the laity. Between the pastor and the people. And Jesus says, I hate that. The Ephesus church hated that. Can I be honest? I hate that too. (laughs) I'm just one of you folks. Please understand that. I'm just a fellow sojourner. I'm on the same spiritual journey that you're trying to navigate. I'm just one of you. God's just called me to be your pastor teacher. But I am not elevated above you. We're all in this together. Do we understand that? Okay. And so these Ephesians guarded and protected the truth. They would not tolerate false teachers, nor would they tolerate any false teaching. This was, in fact, a doctrinally sound church. And so this congregation in Ephesus was commended for some pretty important things. I mean, think about them. Their deeds, their determination, and their doctrine. That's pretty good, isn't it? I'd like to be commended for that. I'd like to think Jesus would say to Springville Church of the Nazarene, I commend you for your deeds, your determination, and your doctrine. But not everything met with Jesus' approval. Notice the confrontation. Again, we read Jesus' words in verse 4, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. This word forsaken means to leave behind. Abandonment. And Jesus was concerned because these Ephesians had forsaken, they had left behind, they had abandoned the love that they once had for Him. Now let's stop here for just a moment. Because again, remember what He commended them for? Even though they were busy doing all kinds of good deeds, sweating it out for Him, even though they were persevering with fierce determination in the face of some pretty awful persecution. And even though they were diligently protecting doctrinal truth, something wasn't right. Something was missing. Something wasn't the way that it was in the beginning. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But this brings us to the council. 
Let's read Jesus' words of counsel out loud together uh, there in verse 5. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Now notice, Jesus' counsel to help the Ephesians rediscover their first love is basically threefold in nature. First of all, He tells them to remember. Remember the height from which you have fallen. In other words, think back to the way it was in those days, those first days, when you had the zeal, the excitement, the enthusiasm, the joy, the willingness, the devotion, the love for me. Think back. Don't let that slip from your memory. Remember what it was like. And secondly, he tells them to repent. Change your direction. Make a U-turn. Literally, it's a military term. Execute an about-face. It's a change of heart, change of mind, a change of will, change of direction in life. Remember, repent, and then thirdly, He tells them to return. Do the things you did at first. Get back to the basics, in other words. Restore the fundamental disciplines. Return to the core essentials of your relationship with Me. Jesus says. You know, sometimes when we've drifted away from the Lord and things are not as they should be, I think we make it way too difficult. When actually the solution is quite simple. Remember, repent, and return. Remember, repent, and return. Remember, repent, and return. That was Jesus' counsel to the church in Ephesus, and I believe that is His very same counsel for us today. Remember, repent, and return. Now with that counsel in mind then, please notice the consequences. There's always consequences in every one of these letters, and the consequences depend upon the choice to obey, or to disobey the counsel. If the choice is to disobey Jesus' counsel, the consequences are at the end of verse 5. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Did you get that? I mean, this is serious business here. Jesus was telling the church in Ephesus, if you continue to go down the same path you're now walking, if you choose not to remember, repent, and return, I am going to come and remove your place among my churches. I'm going to snuff out your lamp, and that's going to be it. Sadly, there is no Christian church in Ephesus today. So guess what? However, if the choice is to obey Jesus' counsel, the consequences are in verse 7. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Wow, what an amazing promise. Isn't it interesting that the tree of life brackets the Bible? 
We find it first mentioned in Genesis chapters 2 and 3. The tree was located in the Garden of Eden, the paradise that God created for Adam and Eve to enjoy. Next to the tree of life, of course, was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve were placed in this perfect paradise with everything at their disposal, including the tree of life, but excluding the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you know the rest of the story, right? Through Satan's deception, Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden tree, and because of their sin, they were cast out of the garden, and they were given the consequence of physical and spiritual death. In order to keep Adam and Eve from eating under the tree of life, thereby overriding that death penalty, Genesis 3 tells us that God assigned a cherubim, an angelic being with a flaming sword, to guard the way to the tree of life. However you take that literally or symbolically. Isn't it interesting that the tree of life mentioned in the book of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, is now mentioned again in the book of Revelation at the very end of the Bible. And we find that the way to the tree of life will be opened up to us once again. Those who overcome, those who obey His counsel, those who remember, repent, and return will have the death penalty forever removed and paradise will be restored. Wow. Well, that's a look at the Scripture. Now, what lessons can we learn from our study together this morning? What practical life lessons can we take home with us today? What is it that Jesus would want to say to Springville Church of the Nazarene this morning? What should be your response? What should be my response to this letter? Well, I need to let you know that as I was preparing to share today's lesson with you, God was speaking to my own heart. This letter from Jesus to the church in Ephesus has pricked my conscience and has stirred my spirit in a way that, honestly, it's very difficult for me to even begin to explain. The Holy Spirit's deeply convicted me of something personally that I now need to pass on to you. In fact, I think I've kind of experienced a little bit of a defining moment in my life this past week. Let me explain, and then perhaps God will speak to you as well. For some time now, I admit that I have been stuck spiritually. I felt kind of stagnant. Having a desire to go deeper in my walk with Christ and yet sensing that I was in neutral. It's kind of drifting a bit. You see, I'm a doer, those of you that know me. My tendency is to focus on activity. Serving, giving, counseling, studying, praying, preaching. I do things. But something has been missing. And I become dissatisfied, discouraged, frustrated, almost burned out. In fact, there have been some Sundays 
I am going to confess to you that I have been up here teaching you that I frankly wanted to be somewhere else. I felt so empty, so pretentious, so hypocritical. You don't realize how many times I've cried out to God in my prayer time, Lord, how can I possibly teach and lead others when I can't even figure out this thing for myself? Well, this past week as I was preparing this sermon, God spoke to me very clearly from this passage. Mark, I know your deeds. I know your determination. I know your doctrine. But I've got something against you. Mark, I know that you are as busy as you have ever been for me. You are as determined as ever to persevere through some of the tough times in your personal life and in your ministry life. And you are committed to guard and protect the truth for me like never before. Your performance for me, Mark, is just fine. But, but, you have forsaken your first love. You've forgotten about your relationship because you're so focused on your performance. You've gotten the cart before the horse, Mark, because relationship comes first, not performance. It is the relationship that pleases me, not your performance. Zing. That word from the Lord just cut through everything. It pierced me to the very core of my being. If you don't hear anything else that I say this morning, don't miss this. In fact, write it down in your notes. Relationship, not performance, is what pleases God. Relationship, not performance, is what pleases God. The Christian life is about being in love. Yes. <laughs> It's about Jesus loving us and us loving Him back and being in that daily, personal relationship with Him. It's not about what I do. It's about who I am. It's not about performance. It's about relationship. Let me see if I can explain this in a little different way. Would you turn in your Bible with me to Revelation chapter 3? I mean, Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. It's on page 1503 if you're using the Pew Bible. I want to read just a few verses here from a familiar story, I think. 
story of Jesus' baptism. And, and, and I just want to look at these verses because something jumped out from this passage to me this last week. And I want to share it with you. Matthew chapter 3. We pick it up with verse 13. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, He went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened and He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on Him. And a voice from heaven said, This is My Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. Don't miss that last verse. This is My Son whom I love. With Him... I am well pleased. That just jumped off the page at me this last week. As I hope it jumps off the page to you because I want God to say that about me. I I, I don't know, isn't that what you want? Don't you want to be pleasing to God? I I want God to say this, Mark, you are my son whom I love. (laughs) With you, I'm well pleased. Now, now why would God say this to Jesus? Hear me on this. Jesus hadn't done anything yet. This is just Matthew 3. In Matthew chapter 1, we have all the genealogy. So-and-so was the father of so-and-so. Who was the father of so-and-so? It just goes on and on. Chapter 2, we have the story of the Magi, the wise men. And then Jesus and... Uh, is taken by Joseph and Mary and they escape to Egypt to get out from underneath Herod. Remember that? And now we come to chapter 3 and we see Jesus' baptism. Jesus, listen, Jesus hadn't done anything yet. (laughs) He hadn't preached a single sermon. He hadn't healed a single person. He hadn't performed a single miracle. So what in the world was God pleased with? I mean, the only thing that Jesus had going for him at this point in time was that he was God's son. That's it. Did you get it? It's all about relationship. And just what God said to Jesus here in this verse. It's true for you and for me. Huh. Got to tell you a story. When most of you know our daughter Jennifer, that's a missionary over Thailand, when she was really young, I, I think it was kindergarten, Karen and I went to her Christmas program at school. And we were sitting in the audience, you know, with all the other parents and grandparents, and these kids are up on the stage. I got to tell you, it was the worst musical experience I have ever been to in my life. But when it was all over, we rose to our feet 
and we cheered and we clapped and we gave them a standing ovation and there were tears in our eyes and people were snapping pictures. And I looked at our daughter Jennifer and I said, I am so proud of you. Not because of what you've done, but because of who you are. Can you picture with me this morning that God is applauding you? That God is giving you a standing ovation this morning and He is saying, I am so pleased with you because you are my son. You are my daughter. You're my kid. And I love you. And I would never love you any more than I do right now. And I would never love you any less than I do right now. I am so proud of you. Not because of what you do, but because of who you are. So what do we do with all this? I mean, really, what do we do? How do we focus on relationship? Not performers. How do we fall in love with Jesus all over again? Again, I'm a doer. (laughs) And I want you to know that it is taking everything I've got within me this morning not to give you a to-do list. so much to be able to say to you here are five steps to restoring and rediscovering your first love I am not going to do that because I want you to wrestle with this just like I had to wrestle with it this last week and I am praying that you squirm. I am praying that the Holy Spirit convicts you so deeply you cannot escape it. I hope you are dissatisfied. I hope you are uncomfortable. I hope the Holy Spirit just gets to you so much you can't even stand it. Amen. Yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken your first love. Relationship, not performance, is what pleases God. And more than anything else, God just wants to love us and He wants for us to love Him in return. So let me ask you, how's your first love? Do you need to remember? Repent? And return? You've got mail. Letters to the church. This morning we've taken a closer look at Revelation 2. 1 through 7, Jesus' letter to the church in Ephesus is all about first love. And as we wrap up today's lesson, I want to draw your attention to the first part of verse 7. We didn't really focus in on this, but I want to focus in on it right now. It says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says 
to the churches. By the way, Jesus uses the same phrase toward the end of each one of these seven letters to these churches. So, let's just get down to it. Let me see some hands here. How many of you have an ear this morning? Come on, show me. How about you? I got two of them. Yeah? None of us has an excuse. The question is, do you have an ear to hear what Jesus is saying to you about your first love for Him? Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for this time in Your Word today. I don't care if anybody else needed this sermon. I did. Thank You for stepping all over my toes. Thank You for reminding me it's all about how much I love You. It's all about being in relationship with You. It's all about rekindling that first love. Finding it again. I pray for this church. I pray for these people here today. And whoever this morning needs to remember and repent and return. Oh God, let them listen to Your counsel. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, take a moment and if you haven't already done so, tear off that flap on your bulletin. Would you do that right now? We call it a communication card. Let us know you're here. Give us your name. and Check any boxes on there that might apply because that tells us how we might be able to minister to you. Wanting to learn more about the church, wanting to learn about becoming a partner or a member here, wanting to learn about baptism. Maybe you're here today and you don't really know Jesus and you want to know Him as the forgiver and leader of your life. Man, check that box. Share with us your prayer requests and your praises. And then at the very bottom says my response today. <laughs> Again, I, I just hope. <laughs> I hope you are so doggone uncomfortable and squirming when you leave here this morning. I don't want to hear anybody say, good sermon. <laughs> Can I be honest? I just want you to leave here. And this week, I just want you to wrestle with this just like I did this last week. Because it is in the wrestling that we rediscover the love we need to have for Jesus. Chuck, come on up. like two volunteers to come up and help with the offering while you're deciding if one of them is you. When we were in school we learned the three R's were reading, writing, and arithmetic. Kids now learn the three R's are reduce, reuse, and recycle. <laughs> These are the three R's that I need to work on now is to remember, repent, and return. I needed that. 
I've been getting uncomfortable with my own prayer life. It's become a ritual. In any relationship, when it becomes a ritual, it's just not right. So i got some wrestling to do this week. Um, could I get a couple of volunteers to help with the offerings? Let's pray for the offering first. Father, all the stuff we have is not really ours. It's all Yours. And we have this privilege now of giving back to You, proving that we depend upon You, that we acknowledge all that we have needed. Your hand is provided, starting with salvation. And then the day-to-day needs. Thank You for providing and thank You for this opportunity to show you from our checkbooks or our wallet how we love you. Take this offering and use it. Use us to build your kingdom. To grow closer again to you. Amen.